Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I am the tech editor at Resident Advisor. The exchange this week is with Felicia Atkinson. Atkinson is an artist in the broadest sense of the word. She infuses her music with influences and references from poetry, theatre, philosophy, visual art, or pretty much anything that strikes her imagination. She builds intimate but thought-provoking environments that sound something like 20th century avant-garde music, but with a much-needed modern shot in the arm. That sense of carrying the torch for experimental music is further emphasised by her label and publishing house Shelter Press, which she runs with her partner Bartolomé Sanson. In conversation with Charles Ravens, we get an insight into Atkinson's latest record, The Flower and the Vessel, as well as some of the thought processes and techniques that shape her compositions. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Felicia Atkinson is up next. So we're here at Resident Advisor, but you, unlike a lot of people who do the RA Exchange, you're not a dance music producer. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, first of all, what's your relationship to electronic music? Do you go clubbing? Do you listen to that kind of music? I don't go clubbing at all. <laughs> I used to go dancing uh, younger, but not so much to electronic music, actually more to oldies or rock music. I listen to abstract electronic music or ambient music, but at home, I don't know. I, it was never my culture. I respect it. I admire it in many ways. Uh, but I'm, since I was a teenager, I would go to live shows, uh, even diffusion shows of kind of serious electronic music. But I, I never been into the club culture. You have worked with dancers before, is that right? Yes. Mm. It was interesting to think about that because I suppose being a dance music journalist, it's 
weird to remind yourself that you can dance to things that don't have a beat. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, I really, I'm really interested in the connection between dance and music because I feel it's a way of listening. And I was asked a, a year ago to give a kind of um, performance, but very not performative, just a voice and laptop, uh, as a training for dancers. And it was so enjoyable because I, they were moving and they were listening in a way I, I always dreamt of, you know. So actually, I'm really interested in this idea of, uh, like, actually last summer, I was invited by resident advisor to play at 7 a.m. in the morning in Berlin for the 24-hour event. I was seven months pregnant. I woke up at five. I took a cab. I went to the club. I played my show and I came back. And I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like an old lady, very interested in playing for people who, who are in the middle of something greater in, in their time frame or... Going there by walking like a sleepwalker, you know, I go there, I deliver something and I leave. <laughs> so I wanted to start as well with the with the new record. Mm -hmm. So it's called The Flower and the Vessel. I guess your records quite often have quite specific ideas behind them, quite specific inspirations, which you talk about and share with people. So would you like to just introduce some of the ideas that yes. have shaped this one? I was very interested in Ikebana, uh, a bit by surprise. I was reading... Uh, a book about it and I was very impressed by the philosophy behind it this idea that you find structure you find harmony and a way also of choosing things in the chaos to make some beauty and harmony uh, and that Ikebana could be a way of thinking I'm going to pick three elements in the vastness of the world and make a bouquet out of it and it seems very superficial but it could be also completely essential like what it is to to pick a few things and make them a whole or a system in general so that was one of the first concept i had and then in general i thought about the idea of what it is to have a creative gesture uh, to make something whereas so i i looked at guides i started to look at those guides for hand in hand actually ceramic guide how to guide how how to make a ceramic how to make a bouquet, how to make a things in the world, how to transform elements to make a new one. And of course, since I was also expecting a baby, it resonated in me. I'm making an album, I'm making a baby, I'm making a bouquet. And also the ambiguity of it, I'm responsible to add things in the world. And is it a good idea? Um, how can I make it the best I can? And also... How can I not control it? Because you can't control everything. The record starts with your voice mm -hmm. whispering, which I guess has become a kind of signature mm -hmm. of yours in a way. Tell me about how you landed at that as being a kind of natural voice, because I guess that it's obviously uh, influenced perhaps by Robert Ashley, who mm -hmm. I know you're a fan of. Yeah. Tell me how you kind of decided that this was the right way for you to use your voice. I think it was the easiest <laughs> uh, basically, because I was really, I studied music as a child, but I dropped it for theater uh, and writing. And I enjoyed writing a lot, uh, enjoyed listening to people talking. I'm a bad technician. Even if, if I use uh, tools, I'm really uh, bad at explaining how I use them. The most simple thing I can do is talk, you know, I can do it everywhere. And 
then it gave me comfort. Like this is a tool I can bring with me everywhere and I can ha just have my phone and use it. So also because coming back to dance, I saw some improvisers uh, dancing, just coming in the space with their body. That's it. And they were making something out of it. And I was so impressed by that. The fact that you can go hand in your pocket to somewhere and carrying something important with you, but no one can guess. What I also was thinking about is how easily people now describe not just whispering, but a lot of the kind of sounds that you make as ASMR. Yeah. So now there is this term for this mm -hmm. thing, but I guess you were doing it way before you knew that. I, was yeah, something. exactly. I, I, I learned the term by reading a, an article about my work <laughs> and then I became really interested. But what's interesting is I've, I believe ASMR is often uh, delivered through YouTube. So there is this strange connection between an image that is not interesting and a sound. And... In that case, I think it's very different from what I do because I try to remove images. They come with the text, but they are not... I'm not showing any image directly. It's really a recording without image. But the idea of something that is very close to your ears and can get in your ears and get, get out and making space... Because I, I think music has space, mostly, and making space in the brain... Finding rooms, uh, like a video game, that interests me. Mm -hmm. Do you play video games? No, <laughs> I'm boring. I don't go to clubs. I don't play video <laughs> games. That's interesting to me, though, the idea that you, you're you not giving an image because we live in an mm -hmm. image culture. Yes, and yeah. I wonder if that's something that you see as um, perhaps music is a way of getting away from the kind of image culture that we live in where there's just so much to take in i think it's creating your own images with all the images we live through i don't reject technology at all i, I know it exists and we use it but i feel uh, imagination is so important especially nowadays and i there are so many for example the now we look at things people playing instead of us, people dancing instead of us, people making music instead of us. And I feel there was this slogan in the, in 68, l'imagination au pouvoir, imagination as power. And I truly believe in that. Yeah, I think that I do have a sense that as years go by and I spend more of my time can kind of consuming other mm. images mm. that my own imagination perhaps mm -hmm. suffers in that way. Do you attempt to kind of preserve yourself from influence in any way do you make a conscious attempt to not look at instagram or not watch things or not no or i watch i watch <laughs> <laughs> i love watching things and i love tv shows also and i i'm very inspired by the tv shows i i, I watch oh what kind of tv for shows example like? the oa i really enjoyed the oa and uh uh brit marling the the actor and the producer she she goes into at one episode she goes into a room and she speaks with a big octopus and she it's and for me it was a metaphor of playing a show and what we told about before going in the middle of the night somewhere and leaving uh, i found it so accurate for example this image of appearing somewhere and disappearing but so i take the images but then they are reconstructed also transferred, translated into sound. And this translation for me is so important that we see images, we make sound. We, I could eat bread and be inspired by the bread. <laughs> you know, it's always going from one thing to another. Mm. I think that's something from having read some of your older interviews and, and listening, 
that seems to be something that you do either more than other artists or at least you're willing to explain it more than other artists this way of synthesizing a lot of ideas at once and and quite difficult ideas potentially or ideas from different art forms and somehow putting it through you and coming up with something and I wondered how much you know what you're going to make or how much it is a kind of perhaps a sort of meditative or chance process it's both it's uh, I know the tools I want to use or I know the questions that uh, shakes me but I don't know where it's going to lead me so it's mostly it's the same I love cooking but I'm not a technician of cooking either so but I know I know the ingredients I like and to whom I want to cook. So it's basically the same with music, you know. If I, for example, I saw that show, uh, Catherine Bradford exhibition at this gallery, Campoli Presti, yesterday, and I was very interested by her paintings. She's, I think she was born in 42, and it seems like she's so dynamic, so young. And I don't know, now I have her paintings in my head and it will resonate with, I I don't know something I will drink and then it will make a song <laughs> and tell me a bit about the actual sonic qualities of this album because it does feel a bit perhaps thicker or there's there's a little bit more going on in some places perhaps melodically a bit richer how did you end up on that kind of path at the beginning I didn't know what I wanted to do I knew that hand in hand was very bare it was I was I built it like a desert like a and also I was thinking always about the record spinning and this flat thing spinning like a which is not the world because the world is round we don't have to forget <laughs> about it but then for the flower and the vessel it was raining so much when I was uh recording it and I was not sad at all I read that it's a the the sad uh, hotel rooms where where I wrote it, but it wasn't sad at all. I was actually very happy writing it because I felt I felt not alone. I felt a baby. I, my partner was next to me, so actually I felt crowded. And then this crowd of feelings, peop- not not people, because three people is not a crowd, but still a group of people. The rain and all the drops of the rain and the landscape. Layers and layers and layers. And then when I recorded, I felt, ah, I, I would love different kind of sounds, studio sound with instruments, specific instruments, but also very digital sounds, MIDI, logic MIDI sounds, uh, iPhone field recordings, like the Ikebana we talked about. It's like there are several Ikebanas in the room, not one big bouquet, but more like several Ikebanas in the room. And you also... On this record, there is a, a guest mm-hmm. on the final track. How did this guest collaboration come about? Uh, thanks to Stephen O'Malley, actually. So we we, we are friends and uh, we, we released a record of his on Shelter Press a few years ago. And he was doing this uh, radio show that unfortunately uh, is no longer uh, working at Red Bull Radio. And it was such a great show. And he said, hey, do you want to come and, and maybe we can record something so this is how it happens and it's a, this magical studio in Montreuil in the suburbs of Paris and they have very good microphones, they have tons of synthesizers they have good guitars and old amps so um, voila, there was all this equipment we were very curious about and Stephen brought one book 
Des Pierres, which is a book by Roger Caillois, a French writer, about stones and images of stones. And I, I own this book also, and it's one of my favorite books. You collect stones, right? I collect stones also. <laughs> so it was serendipity. Uh, first, he invited me, but also he totally understood without asking what I was looking for. And then, so we, it was improvised. I played a few keyboards, the Rhodes, the Verlitzer, the Jupiter, did the voice, and he added layers of guitar and produced the track. Et voilà. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it easy to work with other people? Because it seems to me as though you probably have a lot of ideas in your head that might be hard to translate with somebody else. Or... I thought it would be hard, and it was so easy. It opened my mind, and I feel that maybe the next record there will be more collaborations. But also it's because Stephen is a, is a great artist, and... and and a great human. So also I was very lucky, you know. It was a good start to change my thinking about that. And he's a, I guess he's quite an experienced collaborator. Completely, because so. he, he plays in a band, son, and also collaborates with so many people. But I did collaboration with Jeffrey Cantu, and we're going to record also in studio. So that will be a, a step. <laughs> so how did it work with Jeffrey? How was it different working with him? So we only we are friends also, but we, we don't see each other very often because he's in, in New York and, and I'm in France. So we started collaborating while I was living in the Alps just by sending tracks. And we never recorded together, just sending a track to each other, exchanging like letters and adding layers. But now we feel we should actually record together. So next time I'm coming to New York in September, we're going to record. So maybe 2019 is more about being in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I didn't know this until until just now. But so the uh, track names, which are single letters, actually spell a quote from Susan Sontag. And that in turn is a Baudelaire quote, is that right? Yeah. Um, first of all, could you could you kind of explain what the quote is and why you chose it? But also I, I'm kind of, I'm intrigued by, again, these references and the way that you are using outside ideas and bringing them in. It can be very, it can be very dense, I guess. And I wonder why you choose to work in that way. If there's a sense of, for instance, trying to, not exactly educate your listener but but bring them in on things that you know like what's why why reference such specific things from art and philosophy it's a good question i think for me it's keys and it's the way i learn also because i'm i'm an autodidact for many things and many things i discovered were just by reading a note someone quoting someone or the title of a painting and then it leads to you to a a novel. So, um, yeah, it's exactly how you, you put it. It's not to educate, because that maybe that would be a bit presumptuous, but um, to share little riddles and say, hey, look this way, there is something interesting. And while I was recording, uh, I had this book on, on my desk, and there was this title, Objet Mélancolique. So I was reading, I read this sentence, objet mélancolique, mélancolic object, and comme un seul narcisse, which means like one narcissus with the ambiguity of narcissus being looking at yourself, but also looking at the, uh, at the other. And I felt the, the, the exchange with, with Jeffrey was a bit like that, uh, recording things and being in this melancholic state and of the daily life, and also sending him sounds, but actually his sounds could be mine and my sounds could be his. And I felt, well, it's not an explanation, it's not an illustration, but it gives a little constellation of ideas around the record. 
Same with the last one, sorry, which which is around Sylvia Plath. And I felt the same, like all those po poems I was reading of her remind me the music, but it's not an illustration of the music, it's more a context, possible context. It's a it's an unusual way in some ways to, to write music, but it reminds me, I guess, of perhaps a kind of lineage of counterculture, if you like, that is perhaps not exactly harder to find now because if anything all these things are easier to find now but the methods of passing that on are different because I think in in well in an era that's probably before either of us really mm -hmm. people would learn from weekly music magazines yes. or the record shops yes. video shops mm -hmm. VHS mail order yes. lists all those kinds of things and now it's there's a different kind of quality to that lineage of art and philosophy and film. So I wonder if you see yourself as perhaps being a bit of a Absolutely, <laughs> completely. And and I relate to that. I'm born in 81. So when I, when I was a teenager in high school, this is the way I, I got to discover things. So, and, and I'm very attached to it, to, to this, exactly what you said, like, I love interviews. In my in my record, there's a lot of cut-ups from interviews. I enjoy reading them. I'm so fascinated by the idea that you hear the voice of someone from, I don't know, 30 years ago and or read it and suddenly the, the, the presence, the person is in the room. It's so vivid and also so easy to understand because it's their own words. There is no uh, complicated theory. It's just two people talking like we are. Mm. So yes, the, the culture of magazines, of record stores, video stores, they shaped me. And maybe there is something then staying in the records. Mm. And in that case, I mean, do you ever go to write something and it comes out as actually just something completely personal, just some kind of love song and it has nothing to do with any film you've seen or yeah. bread you've tasted or anything? That's just, oh, I never ask myself that. <laughs> I think they are all personal I mean, there are different entries, I would say, always. The private one and the public one. <laughs> and actually, this is for me very important. It's um, The record was in many ways speaking about exactly like what it is to be pregnant, what it is to... Because all the time I was like, I'm playing, because I played shows also during that time, and someone is listening <laughs> from the inside of my body. <laughs> How crazy it is. And that's the most personal, for sure. Before that, I would have just moods, you know. Uh, this song is a bit sad because maybe I was a bit sad. It's that simple. But for me, it's not um, one or the other. Let's say that in each thing, I feel there are different level, different, different entries. Uh, a bit like if you look from the sky or from the ground or different point of views. And it's this kind of vari variety, how do you say, variety of point of view that interests me, actually. And do you tend to work in a kind of, as they say, first thought, best thought type of way? Do you get things down quite quickly or do you spend a long time working out compositions? Uh, I work very quickly, but I prepare very long. I think about, like, I, I have this box in my head. This is going to be for my new record. And I put tons of stuff in it. And after a while, boom, I go. Mm. And does that mean that when you finished a record, those ideas are they're done for now for you, that you don't need them anymore? <laughs> this I don't know. I think <laughs> the idea stays, the questions, because I never find answers. <laughs> you know. Let me ask you a few questions about your earlier life and how you got into things. 
Now, I've discovered that apparently one of your first jobs was answering the phone at Earcom. Yes. Wow. That's quite a, um, it's quite a precocious kind of thing to be doing. How old were you when you were, were uh, doing that? I was uh, 19 or 20. And uh, it's, yeah, at one moment in the... Uh, we should explain in case anyone yes, doesn't absolutely. know that it's, a, it's an institute for, I guess, avant-garde electroacoustic electronic research exactly it's a research institute yeah. rather than a, a studio and it's connected to Centre Pompidou so it's really in front of the Centre Pompidou in Paris but at that time many musicians were working at the desk people from those French label Active Suspension and Clapping Music who were electronic labels from the early 2000s and uh, so I got the job from a friend who said hey I'm leaving it And uh, I was actually very shy at that time, and it put me a lot of effort to answer the phone. And but I saw Pierre Boulez coming, and wow. I was giving him his uh, <laughs> restaurant checks, you know, to go to the restaurant. He had a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, did they have subsidized rest restaurant as well? They had free food. <laughs> they It's very French. <laughs> they no, they would go to the restaurants with those checks, but I think they would. I don't know. I think you pay a, a bit, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> but um, people were very nice there. Yeah. Was that? Were you already interested in in that kind of music? Yes. Then? Yes, because uh, weirdly enough, my dad, who now is retired, but and was a psychiatric nurse, so nothing to do with with music, but he was really and he is really into contemporary music. So I would listen. I would go to Irkam as a kid, actually. And I was terrified. And it, for me, it was music that was very scary and very male and very serious. So as a teenager, I rejected it and went to rock music also to difference myself. But then after graduating, I came back to that music slowly, bits by bits, first by answering the phone <laughs> <laughs> and then making music. Yeah, so you you were, had some classical training as a as a yes. child, and then just kind of stopped playing for a long time. Yes, I because uh, I felt there was a kind of social complex where my parents don't understand. Like they go to see shows, but they they have no notion of classical music. They don't know how to write music, or and all of the the other students at the art, at the music school they were so good, so technical, and parents would help them. And and after a while, I felt. Really, I don't know. Not at my place there. I, I was not classical enough, so I stopped. I went to a theater school. I went to see rock shows, and I discovered my own thing. And I know that. So you were in a few different groups yes. in your twenties, and one of them, um, stretch and relax. Yes. Part of the point of that group, as I understand it, is that you were using things that weren't instruments yes was, so you yes. were trying to get away from everything that was exactly and, and this is how I came back to music actually it's uh, by two projects this one and with Sylvain Chauveau doing the only the voice so it's time it was like not playing anything and trying to find other ways to get in and with Elise she was a, she's still a contemporary dancer so she was not interested in playing instruments she said I, I can't do that but I can I can touch a wall I can move a chair And so I said, yeah, and me too, actually. This is how I feel. So we would, we, we did, for example, a show at Instant Chaviré. Uh, so this was, I don't know, yeah, almost 20 years ago. And we would wear those masks and we would just crawl onto the piano or under the <laughs> piano, 
throw stuff to the piano. We were a bit angry at the music also, I think. We wanted to be in the music, but not play the music. <laughs> <laughs> and in those days when you were starting to release records and working with people, it was the start of quite a big transition away from, as we were saying, that type of physical, personal, countercultural mm. underground, etc., into things like MySpace yeah. and, and being a laptop musician, which yes. was a, a new thing at mm -hmm. the time. Um, tell me about how you kind of fit into that and if that... Was that a particularly exciting time in Paris? Was it a good DIY kind of moment? Is that why you kind of suddenly got back into music? Good question. I think there was, yeah, it was an interesting time. But also I was more hanging out in the dance scene at that time because I did this project with Boris Charmatz called Bocal and we were improvising. And the, the music culture in, in, in Paris at that time was really male-oriented. So I didn't feel very welcome. So I would go to see shows. I saw many and actually it educated me a lot because I... I saw also the Présence Electronique show, I saw Ikeda, I don't know, uh, uh, Pansonic, everything. But this for me was serious guys, and I was not a serious guy, so I couldn't fit. And um, But there was a squad also called La Générale that still exists in another way, but it was really big at that time. And many shows were happening there, so I would, uh, we, I performed there. I would go there to see things. Uh, and the laptop, yeah, I had my first laptop because it's expensive, a laptop. So it took me a while to get one. <laughs> and then I discovered GarageBand. And that saved me, my, self, my, my space and GarageBand, actually. Because suddenly I had feedback from people all over, I don't know, Australia, who would do the same kind of music. It was very liberating. I, and also to see, um, I would play guitar without playing guitar. So I would do laptop and guitar in a very weird way. I don't think it was that good, <laughs> but it was very joyful. And even these days, um, so you use your iPhone most of the yes, time, right? That's yeah. a key instrument mm. for you. What and my computer, both. Mm. What kind of... Uh, I read a, a quote from you where you were saying that you, you love to use machines you don't understand yes <laughs> and tell me about what kind of other how do you how do you go about sourcing machines that you don't understand and then trying <laughs> to know. use them <laughs> it's a bit i feel bad about that because i feel i should learn but it's just i feel incapable like my brain for is not working to to read a manual you know i have I don't know. I'm not built for it. <laughs> so instead of that, for example, I just spent a week at Ems Studio in Stockholm with the book class. It's been the second time I, I've been there. And each time I found, I find a few sounds that I really do like, but I don't know how I went there, you know. Yeah, the, and the book there is from what I understand, notoriously quite difficult to... It's very difficult, <laughs> you know, but... It depends what you want to do with it. It's like everything. I'm looking for simple things in a way. I'm just looking for a few sounds. I'm not going to make a whole album about a book. Like, I would be totally bored also to just do that, you know? <laughs> so it's more like being, again, coming back to Ikebana. Okay, maybe I'm in a very steep forest. It's difficult to climb. But I found one little spot that interests me and I'm going to stick to it. Hmm. And at the time uh, when you're kind of getting back into music, as I understand it, it was actually poetry that was a big mm -hmm. influence for you. Yes. So I wondered if you kind of see yourself as more of a, a poet than a musician and why you, why you haven't just 
done poems, I guess. I mean, what is yeah. it that, how do you put those two together? I think um, it's a question of scenes also, because I really enjoy the music scene, the music community. I, I discovered a bit the poet community, but I found it way more serious <laughs> and uh, uh, less, I don't know. I feel so good in the music community. Also, I do art and I don't like as much the art community. I really feel the club scene is interested in, in the non-club scene. The non-club scene is interested in the club scene. Uh, the rock is interested into electronic, electronic to contemporary, uh, I don't know, world music. There is so much curiosity in the music scene that I don't find elsewhere. So I think it's the people, basically. I, I felt at home right away. And do you, when you're putting words together, are you, I mean, tell me a bit about how you put words together, because obviously you, you borrow words mm -hmm. quite liberally. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's your kind of, what kind of techniques do you have for finding things or what tends to appeal to you? What do you find yourself looking it's for? It's mostly chance. So, um, so first I, I read things, I buy the, the books, I, I spend time doing this and then I mean the urgency of the music show or the recording. In the music show, I just improvise. So the words that I'm saying live are just always improvised. Sometimes you can hear the same ones because they come back. And also I, I answer back to the recordings I play live. So sometimes it's my voice answering my voice or things like that. And live, it's the same. It's just, I put a few books around me like instruments and I have some words in my head also, notebooks, and I grab them very quickly. So it's really like playing dices. Mm. And does that, when you're uh, picking words live or, or thinking yeah. of words live, does that also affect what you're playing or is the playing more fixed? Mm, it influences it, it for sure, for sure, because, or maybe it's the opposite, it's the music that I played or that I'm playing that influence the word I'm picking. So really, it, it feels like had you tried to be just in the poetry scene, you wouldn't have been able to complete your ideas, I guess. Yes, yes. And um, what I really do like about music is also the absence of words. <laughs> 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 so words appear and disappear. And there is moment where I put them away. And this for me is very important also. Right. And there are plenty of times on your records where you can't really hear the words. And exactly. On yeah. purpose. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Shelter Press mm -hmm. then. So the new album is, I believe, the 112th release. Yes. Wow. Um, tell me a bit about, so you, it began in 2012. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, tell me a bit about what you imagined Shelter Press to be then. Yes. And okay. perhaps mm. and we can talk about what it is now. So Shelter Press is uh, Bartholomé Sanson, my partner and me. And it's mostly him in the days now because uh, he works full time on it and I do art music and, and now we have a baby. So. <laughs> yeah, who's looking after the baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the label. <laughs> so uh, back in 2012, um, Bartholomé had another imprint called Kaogumi Books for a few years and he was... Uh, uh, publishing zines, uh, almost a zine every week. It was crazy. And after a while, he was a bit tired of it because I think he's, he felt like he'd done anything he could do with the imprint. So he wanted to stop. And I was interested in 
in creating something with him uh, where there would be music and text and images. And we were in this artist residency in Ohio where there were a lot of Amish around building their own houses and making their vegetables and stuff. And we were a bit inspired by them in a weird way. This is how we called it Shelter Press. We were like, okay, this is going to be our house because we are travelers. We we are renters. We, we don't own a house. We're going to travel a lot. So our house is going to be Shelter Press and we're going to invite people at at the table. So in a few in between 2012 and now the table has changed many times because we changed also because at the beginning we were younger and we had different ideas but it's a very personal press still. And this is why we say we don't accept demos mostly because it's, it's like being at your own living room making dinner. It's rare that you accept people knocking at your door, <laughs> you know? I guess also in that time period a lot has changed just within the music Absolutely. industry and how things are run how has how have changes in the wider industry affected your priorities if at all it's every day a challenge and a question how do we do that how we can we make it sustainable what run we should do how many records we try to make them very beautiful, but then they are very expensive to make. <laughs> is it is it silly or not? Uh, Bartolome still ships everything um, by himself. Uh, we have no car. <laughs> we take the bus with <laughs> with bags of things, and so it's still. Um, but we have very good distributors now, also. So we do direct sales, but also through Boomcat and Forced Exposure. And I think it changed a lot, and it. Actually, it was a big help. For example, Boomcat, the way they supported us uh, at the time where we didn't have also any PR, we were doing the press ourselves and they helped. So um, I think the evolution of Shelter Press is also related to the people who decided to uh, help us or help to spread the world about what we do. Uh, so it's, it's never something you do alone. It's something... Uh, in a community, and now we are in. Uh, we are going to do this residency for six months in Switzerland in a place called Labeck, and we want to make a little, not suppose, but just a little breathing to understand where we are and what we're going to do. So actually, we have a lot of questions in our mind. And one of the recent things that Shelter Press uh, released was a book called yes. Spectres mm -hmm. about music and listening I yes. guess uh, which included quite a lot of you know well-known names in the uh, experimental scene there's something about this book um, with uh, pieces of writing by people like Chris Watson there's something about the existence of this book that makes me think you think there's a lack of space to talk about these things is that the case I mean what what was it that you were trying to make a space for that you thought was missing for us, this book is very important. It's actually, I think, the beginning of a new step for Shelter Press, you know, in many ways. Because it made us think while reading the contributions, <laughs> which is awesome. You know, you think about a book and then what people send you back is so good that actually transform you. <laughs> and that was a collaboration with GRM. So GRM is Groupe de Recherche Musicale. So it's, there is IRCAM we talked about before and GRM and François Bonnet, Castle Yager, he's an amazing musician and thinker and now the director of GRM since a year. He wants to, 
to reshape DRM and rethink it and make it, I think, more present and actual also through his festival Présence Electronique. So Bartholomé, François and I, we, 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 we thought about what could be a collaboration with a magazine every year with, um, with text about what, it is, what is sound today. Again, we don't have answers, but we, 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 we exchange about one topic a year and ask contribution. And so it's an ongoing research, I would say. But we wanted it to be um, mostly written by musicians for musicians, not exclusively. In the next one, there will be also some people who are not musicians, actually, but more people who uh, write a theory or things like that. But the idea was that it would be a magazine easy to put in your pocket, uh, not too complicated to read, accessible, not only for universities, even though it's also for them, but... We want it to be, I don't know, honest <laughs> somehow. It's as if, coming back to the, this idea of, of passing on cultural knowledge, yeah. it's a, I guess it's a space to have s not, not serious conversations and stuff, but, but deep conversations yeah. which can be hard to find elsewhere in, in music journalism and also without keeping it in some kind of academic territory. Exactly. This is very well put. And I think that's that's very important because uh, musicians have much to say, not only about themselves, but how, and not only musicians, music uh, journalists, music theoricians, about how they listen, and not only about, um, oh, this record came out, I have to write about it, or I just released a record, I have to talk about it, <laughs> but to be a bit out of the context and then go deeper into ideas. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Finally, I just wanted to ask you, I guess, about the sort of some practical uh, aspects of your life. So you, you live in Brittany, right? For now, yeah. For now. <laughs> But you're quite nomadic, I guess. Yes. Why have you chosen that as your current place to live? And, and why not be in Paris, let's say? Does, mm -hmm. it, does it help you as an artist to be somewhere like that? It's, it, it's many reasons. The first is economic. <laughs> Paris is impossible to live in. Each time there was a reason. When we moved to the Alps, it's because I was teaching in an art school nearby and Bartolome was also working with this art school. But the city was a bit a posh city. We wouldn't live in by in the mountains, so we remote ourselves in the countryside. And it was amazing, but after a while we were like, okay, this is like being 70 years old while <laughs> being 30, so we have to change that. And then Rennes was a bit for the same reason. And now I think we want to move again, but... I enjoyed also the fact that the life was not expensive and very simple and uh, coming back from playing shows, I go in a very simple town where no one cares and we talk about other stuff, <laughs> you know. But now I miss it also, <laughs> being a big city. So after the residency in Switzerland, we don't know where we're going to live, basically. I think we're going to put stuff in the storage for six months and see. It's... It's the drama of my life. I never know where where I belong. Also, I think because uh, my mom is foreigner, and there is this thing where I, I it's I can't find the good. Okay, the I don't know where I belong exactly. So it's good and bad depending on the moments. I would say. Do you find that? Liberating or stressful not knowing where you're both. Going? Okay, <laughs> both really. In a way, it's amazing because we we go. To In the city, we're like, oh, we should live there, and maybe we can. And sometimes it's like, how, how are we going to make it? Like, I would love one day to 
to own a house, but you know, it's like everyone, <laughs> it's complicated. Do you think that it's become more difficult to make a living as an artist as, as time has gone on? This I, I can't compare. Um, I think the maybe, yeah, the level in general of life is so expensive that, uh, yes, for sure, just to... And especially if you play music, you do art, you need a studio. Yeah. This is why I, I, I keep voice, because the voice, you don't need a studio, you know, to use your voice. But... Um, yeah, and now there are only a few cities where things happen. And that scares me a bit, the idea that actually we tend to believe we can live everywhere with the internet, but in, in, in another hand, uh, it's very difficult to live in a midtown in France and and, is that and go to see shows. You know? Yeah, is that, is that different, do you think, that it used to be that there was more culture Speaking in Speaking of towns? Rennes, for sure, like Rennes in the 80s and 90s was really... a very musical city. I think maybe it was in Manchester or France somehow, you know? Yeah, I think it's more more and more difficult to put shows because the the economy is so hard that uh, now to find warehouses or music sp spots, it, it's very tough. And uh, now it's difficult to play shows in, in not big cities, basically, to find fundings for that. Finally, then, as a slightly more cheerful ending, as you are so good at uh, bringing in all of these many ideas and things that you've been thinking about into your music, I'm just curious about what is your current thing? What are you reading? What have you just seen? And what have you been thinking about that's in your head right now? Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I don't have a lot of time lately, having an eight-month baby. So I have to go... Like, take advantage of anything, anytime. For example, I spend tons of time in parks because uh, I think it's healthy uh, to bring your child uh, outside. And I look at trees and I'm very, very interested in trees and how they change the cities because most of the trees we see, they are imported, they, they travel, they, they say so much about how a city changed. So I, I'm not saying I'm going to make a record about trees, but... <laughs> They are, they are very interesting. Uh, I'm interested in general in musicians or composers uh, who thought music was a way to communicate with non-humans, you know, whereas it was actually, for example, uh, now Plantasia has so much uh, success, but I understand why, I guess. It's because this idea that music can be an, a language to to get connected, to, to get in touch with non-humans, whereas there are aliens, plants, or rocks. Or, that, that I feel really interesting. So, yeah, this idea of a music that could reach uh, other dimensions. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> Wonderful. I Thank think you. we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Felisa. Thank you so much.